<laughs> he roared. Here's welcome for the warrior. And what forfeit do you offer, pretty one, for your life? She blazed a curse at him. So? Naughty words for a mouth so fair, my lady. Well, we'll not deny you put up a gallant battle. No man could have done better, and many have done worse. But against Guillaume, he flayed his splendid chest and grinned down at her from the depths of his jutting beard. Come to me, pretty one, he commanded. I'll wager your mouth is sweeter than your words. Jirel drove a spurred heel into the shin on one guard and twisted from his grip as he howled, bringing up an iron knee to the abdomen of the other. She had writhed from their grip and made three long strides toward the door before Guillaume caught her. She felt his arms closing about her from behind and lashed out with both spiked heels in a futile assault upon his leg armor, twisting like a maniac, fighting with her knees and spurs, straining hopelessly at the ropes which bound her arms. Guillaume laughed and whirled her around, grinning down into the blaze of her yellow eyes. Then deliberately, he set a fist under her chin and tilted her mouth up to his. There was a cessation of her hoarse curses. By heaven, that's like kissing a sword blade, said Guillaume, lifting his lips at last. Jirel choked something that was mercifully muffled as she darted her head sideways like a serpent striking and sank her teeth into his neck. She missed the jugular by a fraction of an inch. Guillaume said nothing. Then... He sought her head with a steady hand, found it despite her wild writhing, sank iron fingers deep into the hinges of her jaw, forcing her teeth relentlessly apart. When he had her free, he glared down into the yellow hell of her eyes for an instant. The blaze of them was hot enough to scorch his scarred face. He grinned and lifted his ungauntleted hand, and with one heavy blow in the face, he knocked her halfway across the room. She lay still upon the flags. Jirel opened her yellow eyes upon darkness. She lay quiet for a while, collecting her scattered thoughts. By degrees it came back to her, and she muffled upon her arm a sound that was half curse and half sob. Sure he had fallen. For a time she lay rigid in the dark, forcing herself to the realization. The sound of feet shifting on stone nearby brought her out of that particular misery. She sat up cautiously, feeling about her to determine in what part of Juari its liege lady was imprisoned. She knew that the sound she had heard must be a sentry, and by the dank smell of the darkness that she was underground, in one of the little dungeon cells, of course. With careful quietness, she got to her feet, muttering a curse as her head reeled for an instant, and then began to throb. In the utter dark, she felt around the cell. Presently, she came to a little wooden stool in a corner and was satisfied. She gripped one leg of it with firm fingers and made her soundless way around the wall until she had located the door. Help! 
The sentry remembered afterward that he had heard the wildest shriek for help which had ever rung in his ears, and he remembered unbolting the door. Afterward, until they found him lying inside the locked cell with a cracked skull, he remembered nothing. Jurel crept up the dark stairs of the north turret, murder in her heart. Many little hatreds she had known in her life, but no such blaze as this. Before her eyes in the night, she could see Guillaume's scornful, scarred face laughing, the little jutting beard split with the whiteness of his mirth. Upon her mouth, she felt the remembered weight of his, about her the strength of his arms, and such a blast of hot fury came over her that she reeled a little and clutched at the wall for support. She went on in a haze of red anger and something like madness, burning in her brain as a resolve slowly took shape out of the chaos of her hate. When that thought came to her, she paused again, mid-step upon the stairs, and was conscious of a little coldness blowing over her. Then it was gone, and she shivered a little, shook her shoulders and grinned wolfishly, and went on. By the stars she could see through the arrow slits in the wall, it must be near to midnight. She went softly on the stairs, and she encountered no one. Her little tower room at the top was empty. Even the straw pallet where the serving wench slept had not been used that night. Jirel got herself out of her armor alone, somehow after much striving and twisting. Her doeskin shirt was stiff with sweat and stained with blood. She tossed it disdainfully into a corner. The fury in her eyes had cooled now to a contained and secret flame. She smiled to herself as she slipped a fresh shirt of doeskin over her tousled red hair and donned a brief tunic of link mail. On her legs, she buckled the greaves of some forgotten legionary, relic of the not long past days when Rome still ruled the world. She thrust a dagger through her belt and took her own long, two-handed sword, bare-bladed in her grip. Then she went down the stairs again. She knew there must have been revelry and feasting in the great hall that night, and by the silence hanging so heavily now, she was sure that most of her enemies lay still in drunken slumber, and she experienced a swift regret for the gallons of her good French wine so wasted. And the thought flashed through her head that a determined woman with a sharp sword might work some little damage among the drunken sleepers before she was overpowered. But she put that idea by, for Guillaume would have posted sentries to spare, and she must not give up her secret freedom so fruitlessly. Down the dark stair she went, and crossed one corner of the vast central hall whose darkness she was sure hid wine-deadened sleepers, and so into the lesser dimness of the rough little chapel that Jouaret boasted. She had been sure she would find Father Gervais there, and she was not mistaken. He rose from his knees before the altar, dark in his robe, the starlight through the narrow window shining upon his tonsure. <gasps> My daughter! If you escaped, oh, shall I find you a mount? If you can pass the sentries, you should be in your cousin's castle by daybreak. She hushed him with a lifted hand. No, she said, it is not outside I go this night. I have a more perilous journey even than that to make. Shrive me, father. He stared at her. What is it? 
She dropped to her knees before him and gripped the rough cloth of his habit with urgent fingers. Shrive me, I say. I go down into hell tonight to pray the devil for a weapon, and it may be I shall not return. Gervaise bent and gripped her shoulders with hands that shook. Look at me, he demanded. Do you know what you're saying? You go down. She said it firmly. Only you and I know that passage, Father, and not even we can be sure of what lies beyond. But to gain a weapon against that man, I would venture into perils even worse than that. If I thought you meant it, he whispered, I would waken Guilom now and give you unto his arms. It would be a kinder fate, my daughter. It's that I would walk through hell to escape, she whispered back fiercely. Can't you see, oh God knows I'm not innocent of the ways of light-loving, but to be any man's fancy for a night or two before he snaps my neck or sells me into slavery, and above all, if that man were Gilliam, can't you understand? That would be shame enough, nodded Gervais. But think, Shirelle, for that shame there is atonement and absolution, and for that death the gates of heaven open wide. But this other... Shirelle, Shirelle, never through all eternity may you come out, body or soul, if you venture down. She shrugged. To wreak my vengeance upon Guilom, I would go if I knew I should burn in hell forever. But Shirelle, I do not think you understand. This is a worse fate than the deepest depths of hellfire. This is... This is beyond all the bounds of hells we know.